The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, this is Alexis Haynes, and welcome to Recovering from Reality, where I illuminate the messy and magical path of coming home to yourself. Whether you're on the road to recovery, seeking self-care techniques for surviving the capitalist machine, or just need a moment to remember that you're not alone in your loneliness, we're serving up the ultimate truth. Your challenges don't define you. How you deal with them does. So, are you ready to recover from reality? I think that we talk about alcohol and drugs, which I have not had a personal problem with, as this addiction, right? And people don't necessarily talk about emotions in that same sense, but they are. I was addicted to my depression. You know, my depression allowed me to drop out of college and not take responsibility and not figure out my adult world and what I have to do. My addiction allowed me to call out of being a gelato scooper and a hostess and interning for C Magazine and trying to go to college. My depression and bipolar disorder at the snap of my fingers, my entire family, friends, husband would drop what they were doing to come to my rescue. I wasn't conscious of that power and that addiction while it was happening, but the same way that people are addicted to negative thought patterns or the core beliefs that they tell themselves. That was a quick clip from this week's episode with Scout Sobel. I really loved this episode, y'all. If you haven't heard me on her podcast, OK Sis, head over there and have a listen because it was really a great one. Scout Sobel is the founder of Scouts Agency, which is a PR agency that gets women as guests on important podcasts and the co-host of the OKSIS podcast and also the host of the Scout podcast, where she really dives into her life as a person with bipolar. This week, we are discussing how to use your emotions to guide you and balancing your mental health and professional goals. We're talking about Scout's perspective on how her bipolar originated, the genetic component, the spiritual component, and the emotional component. We're talking about her experiencing the symptoms of sexual trauma without the physical experience, what reoccurring dreams can tell us about our past and our futures. We're talking about being addicted to our emotions and the way that they enable us to stay in our suffering. I'm going to repeat that because it is so true. I've been there. Being addicted to our emotions and the way they enable us to stay in our suffering. So many of us are doing that. Uh, We're talking about receiving mental health treatment and support as a human being, not just as our diagnosis and accepting worthiness as is and letting go of the stories and identities that we place on ourselves and obsess over. This is a really important conversation. Scout's story is so profound. And I think that for so many of us who deal with mental health conditions, trying to survive and operate, and I know I say this all the time, but it's so true, um, in a world that's not conducive to supporting people with that is brutal. And so I love Scout's new book, The Emotional Entrepreneur, because she really talks about how she used her diagnosis as an advantage and how we can create more conducive environments in our work life 
where we can feel both supported in our home life and in our work life, no matter what our mental health condition may be. So with that, let's dive into Scout's episode. I do want to say, I hope y'all had a happy holiday season. Happy New Year. We are just days away from 2022. I can't believe it. That is wild to me. And to all of my sober friends out there, if you made it through this holiday season, congratulations. I know that that's not easy. And if you struggled along the way, I'm here for you. You can always DM me. I'm always here to provide support. You can also always email the info at Recovering From Reality account. And we will do our best to get back to you within 24 hours of your original message. So with that, here is Scout Sobel. Congratulations on your book. Thank you. Thank you. I know what it's like to write a book. You it's know what? The endeavor. You know what? I'm actually going to say everything else in my life has been an endeavor. Writing this book poured out of me in a month and a half. It was oh the easiest thing I've ever done. Launching hmm. the book was fucking hard, but writing yes. the book was easy. Absolutely. Understand that. I mean, writing for me was not an easy process, but I launched right before the pandemic hit. So <laughs> my launch was not a success, but the book exists. And that's really all that I care about. I want to say that I was just reflecting on the way over here about how amazing it was to guest on your podcast. And if you guys have not listened to OK Sis, you need to. That was the most, I mean, it was, we recorded the week of the election and we, we did not know the results. And so obviously emotions were high, but you came on and for any of you who do listen to OK Sis, my sister Mads does not cry on the podcast and it was a full-on bawling <sighs> session between the it two of really us. Sweet. It was incredible. Yeah, it was a great episode. So if you haven't listened to that one and you obviously enjoy listening to me talk because you listen to this <laughs> podcast, you should jump on over there. And um, give that episode a listen because I I do sometimes I just get these downloads from the universe and it flows yeah. and it goes and it's like thank God there was a mic in front of me for that moment it was good it was great and your podcast is amazing the last several years of my life have really been about like questioning the sustainability of operating in the society the way that we do tapping into my divine feminine and like really being clear on what I desire and what I'm willing to do and not willing to do to get there. And what I love about your work is that you really illuminate the ways in which as females, especially, but as anyone who has mental health conditions, which I feel like most people do, everyone does, (laughs) but especially as women, like how to stay true to who you are while being And I'm going to say the cringy word, a boss bitch. Yeah. You know, it's obviously a dance that we all kind of, you know, have to figure out over time. I would say that the way, or I argue that the way to do it is to allow your emotions to guide you. So the whole reason why everything that I do is always deeply in alignment is because if I take one turn, if I make one decision, if I sign this client, or if I launch this project and it's not in alignment, I'm so 
self-aware and in touch with my emotions that my bipolar disorder will flare up. Mm. I'll go straight into a depressive episode in a matter of two weeks. And so in that, I see the biggest blessing, right? Because I will never wake up at the age of 40 and wonder why the fuck I did what I did and where did my life go and why wasn't I on track? Because every time I do anything out of integrity, that's not in alignment with my highest vision. That's not really where I want to go. Because as you said, in today's society, we're being pulled in a million different directions my emotions will stop me. I'll either get catatonic, which we had an episode plan. I was like, hey, I'm, you know, catatonic. Yeah. Can't get up here. Mm -hmm. That will happen, which was like a whole three-week episode. It took me out. Or I'll just get so anxious and depressed. And immediately now, after years and years and years of practice, I can allow that emotion to come in and look at it as a warning sign, a guide, a mentor, a sign, and then recourse my life. Yes, I love it. Let's dive into your mental health journey first and then into your work life and how you balance it all. Do you feel like you're bipolar? Because I had an amazing psychiatrist, Dr. Sagan, on in the early days of this podcast. She was the primary psychiatrist at my treatment center for many years. And well, yes, she takes a more holistic approach. She, I would just say that she's balanced. Mm -hmm. She says that, you know, bipolar can absolutely be genetic, but it can also be as a result of like severe trauma. What do you think is the origins of, of your bipolar? This has been an ongoing question for me because my trauma does not look like other people's trauma in the sense that I'm not really sure my trauma happened in the physical plane. Let me break it down. So I remember when I was four, I was in kindergarten and I experienced anxiety for the first time. It was, it was one of my earliest memories. And I remember feeling it so, it, it encompassed my whole body. I couldn't shake it for three days. And I didn't tell anybody because I didn't know what was going on. And so I think there is that genetic component. My mom suffers from mental health problems. So I think genetically at the age of four, I was just prone to have really, really extreme responses to, I got in trouble with by a teacher and it wasn't even my fault. She thought it was me and it wasn't. And then three days I'm in an anxiety episode as a four-year-old. So there is that genetic component, but what gets tricky for me is that I was born and raised in a beautiful family, very supportive. I went to a small private Jewish school my whole life. The kids I grew up with, I've known since kindergarten to 12th grade. It was very village oriented. So it's hard for me because I really, my, my parents did their best to provide me with such a beautiful life. And unfortunately, at the age of four, I started having dreams that I was, reoccurring dreams that I was being raped by an older man. And I don't think my body over time understood the difference between if it actually happened or if it was in my mind. Have you, I'm sure you've talked about this with psychiatrists. So wait, my brain is just going into a I know, million it gets, different places. It gets very complicated. Oh, no, no, no. It's not complicated. It is interesting. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm someone who at the age of four was being raped. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like I very much so like know what happened, right? Yes. Like I remember the smells, like I remember the touch. I remember physically what was happening inside my body, mentally, all of it, right? However, 
for a four-year-old to be dreaming of that. Yeah. Like, how does one even, where does that picture even come from? But then I think, okay, and, you know, I'm very spiritual and like. So I have the spiritual answer for you. Okay. Because I, I, yeah, I, I mean, w- I'm thinking past life, right? Yeah. I was actually told that a spirit enmeshed onto my soul who was not mm-hmm. allowed to be here. And so this older man, mm-hmm. a spirit attached to me at the age of four. That's so interesting. I also watched that crazy documentary on Netflix this year where they were talking about people who died and reincarnated, like young children who have full memories by the age of three of who they were in a past life and Mm -hmm. could like meet with these other people. Oh, I just got the chills. And like know their whole family and their lineage and things that they could have never before. So I'm like, okay, I mean, that makes sense. I've had crazy experiences like that too, where I can like feel this. And I had to work with Shaman Durek on this. Like I could feel this dark amazing Mm -hmm. dark energy that was like clinging onto me and like one night I was sound asleep in my bed and I could feel it like jump through my body and I woke right up out of my sleep and was screaming it was so scary okay that makes sense so who told you this and how old were you when you got that explanation so I wasn't, it was when I was way older because what happened and I, and I tell both stories, which it's really a story I don't, I don't talk about so often just because it's so, it was confusing for me because when my paranoia and psychosis came in, it was men following me under my bed in my balcony. I thought they were going to come and harm and rape and kill me. And so- How old were you when that was happening? 18. Okay. So I started to develop the symptoms of someone who was sexually abused but it had never happened. And so I was just confused. I was just very confused. And I didn't receive the explanation that it could have been a spirit that attached onto me, whether you believe it or not, until I was maybe 23 or 24. And when you were little and you were having these reoccurring dreams, did you tell your parents? No. No. Because how does a four-year-old even put that into words? Yeah. You know what's crazy? I had a dream when I was very little like I probably must have been five or six, maybe even younger. And it was a reoccurring dream that I was in jail and it looked exactly like the jail cell that I ended up in. I have chills. I mean, I think I think when we are that young, we are open. Society we hasn't are, yeah. um, shut us down or put us into a box or told us what's acceptable or not. And so our channels are extremely, extremely open. And I think that potentially if you resonate with stories of being really young and experiencing these dreams or experiencing these intense emotions, it might be a foreshadow into the way or maybe into your future of having at one point some type of emotional roadblock or difficulty navigating life as just a, an adult. Yeah. So, I mean, I believe in the spirit world very much Absolutely. so. Very much yeah. so. And so, when I talk about my trauma or where this came from, I think it's part chemical Yeah, that allowed me to be open to something like this, to allow me to be open to really intense emotions. And then I do think that those dreams set my mental illness on a very specific path. That's why my psychosis and my paranoia is the way that it is. That's why I had sleep paralysis and I felt someone coming into my bed. Yeah. And so it's painted my experience in many ways you know, everyone has their trauma, whether they come from a quote unquote picture perfect family or not. Absolutely. But I think it was a mixture of both. 
Yeah. That weird dream, I don't know, spiritual experience and just being an open, receptive, emotional and sensitive child as it was. Quick break from today's episode to talk to you guys about Dipsy. Sometimes doing less can lead to so much more. Dipsy Stories believes in less analyzing and more feeling your feelings, less stressing and more easing into things, less scrolling and more savoring the moment, less pressure and more pleasure. Dipsy is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. 90% of women use mental framing to get turned on, but most of the innovation and investment in female pleasure has been focused on the body rather than the brain. Dipsy stories are sex positive, inclusive, and are created with women in mind. Each Dipsy audio story features characters that feel like real people and immersive scenarios so you feel like you're right in the middle of the action. Listen to stories about hooking up with your hometown crush, you never made the move on, or that coworker that you've always had a little thing for. They release new content every week so there's always more to explore no matter who you are what you're into, or what turns you on. And if you need to wind down, Dipsy also has more content for you. Check out their wellness sessions, sensual bedtime stories, and audio soundscapes to help you relax before you drift off. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com reality. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsy, D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com reality, dipsystories.com reality. So when you were 23, 24 and someone told you this, did they tell you like what to do that they help you like get rid of this, heal this? Like, or did they just say like this might be an option or a, a one answer? I wrote an essay about it. I'll send it to you. She said, are you ready to let him go? And she did whatever she did. And I said, yes, but I wasn't. I had just met him. I saw his face in that moment. I knew what he looked like. And I said, yeah, right. You just told me fucking five seconds ago. You think I'm just going to, you know, as you say, one, suffering is addicting and it's a very crazy world. Suffering and, is addicting. Yeah. And so all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I have another story to tell about my suffering yeah. here, you know? And so I wasn't ready to let him go in that moment. And I spent a lot of time with him, I think, a couple weeks after that. Mm feeling into who he was, why he was here, what he looked like. Oh my God, you have to see Shaman Durek. I know, I know. I have you read his book, Spirit yes, Hacking? I okay. have. And I, you know, today I don't think he's with me. I yeah. really don't think he's with me. I think I've yeah. done enough work to kind of excommunicate that myself. Yeah. But in the moment, I needed some more time to wrap my head around what this means. I needed more time to dive into that experience of why when my high school boyfriend went to hug me, I'd freak out and run back and yeah. feel a lot of shame. Why after sex, I'd have to cover myself up with clothing immediately. I never understood and I felt really confused because I was never physically sexually abused. I didn't know what to make of the symptoms and the way I was reacting around my body and sex and all of that. So I needed more time with him to wrap my head around it. Yeah. No, I, it makes complete sense to me. I want people to understand what we say when we say we're addicted to our suffering. Oh, yeah. So I was listening to your latest solo episode mm -hmm. and it hit me because, you know, I was dying. For everyone, that is the first Monday yes. in December's episode. In case this goes out in January, <laughs> I want you to know 
that you can go back to that episode and listen to what I have to say about it. Yes. When you said that it, you know, when I started talking about my bipolar disorder, because I was diagnosed at 20, I started really healing at the age of 21 because my husband comes from a recovery background and he was the one that kind of put the ultimatum on me and said, listen, you have to at least play an active participant in this healing journey of yours. You know, I think that we talk about alcohol and drugs, which I have not had a personal problem with, as this addiction, right? And people don't necessarily talk about emotions in that same sense, but they are. I was addicted to my depression. You know, my depression allowed me to drop out of college and not take responsibility and not figure out my adult world and what I have to do. My addiction allowed me to call out of being a gelato scooper and a hostess and interning for C Magazine and trying to go to college. My depression and bipolar disorder at the snap of my fingers, my entire family, friends, husband would drop what they were doing to come to my rescue. I wasn't conscious of that power and that addiction while it was happening, but the same way that people are addicted to negative thought patterns or the core beliefs that they tell themselves, I would always say depression is my home and you're asking me to go somewhere, but you're, I don't know what that destination is. My mom would say, we just have to get you happy or stable or this, this. And I said, okay, but that's so abstract to me. I don't have a map. And I felt at the time a lot of jealousy for my husband because not for what he went through, God no, but for the fact that when he needed help, there was a system, there was a detox, there was a rehab, there was a sober living, there were 12 steps, there were rooms, there were sponsors. There really are no safe spaces for people who are primary mental health sufferers. No, it's no. really sad. I that called there, so I mean, many rehabs. There's a few places, but it's few and far between. If you are not primary substance yeah. and secondary mental health, it's, they can't, which is interesting with bipolar and um, BPD, which is different. Everyone gets those confused. Borderline personality disorder oh, and yes. bipolar. Yeah. Most unmedicated people, people who are not treated properly, do end up having addictions mm -hmm. because they are using substances to numb and then they come into our treatment center. We diagnose them as bipolar, put them on the proper uh, treatment plan, and then off they go, yeah. right? But yeah, it's really sad that there isn't that space. And, you know, I remember calling rehabs and asking if they would take me just for the mental illness stuff. And they said, I'm sorry, you need a dual diagnosis. And so I had to heal over eight years while figuring my life out. And I think I would have significantly benefited from putting a complete pause for one to two years, going somewhere and dedicating. And look, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I got to where I need to get to, and I don't regret any sort of path that I went down. But hopefully by the time I have a child and maybe if they ever need help like this, there's a place that they can go to because also when I got diagnosed, I know this sounds silly, but Instagram wasn't around. Like podcasts like this weren't around. And so I thought I was crazy. I was like, I'm done for. And I would walk down the self-help aisle in Barnes and Noble and like look over my shoulder because I was like embarrassed. I thought it was weird to be down that aisle. And I just looked for clues. You know, one book said to express gratitude. One book said to go to support groups. One book said to meditate. And I just started trying different things on until I got to a point where I could at least hold down a minimum wage job and community college. Yeah. Are you a fan of DBT? 
dialectical behavioral therapy? I have not done that. I've done uh, CBT. Cognitive yes, behavioral that therapy. that one. Yeah, I did outpatient with oh my CBT. God, I think you'd love DBT. Okay, I'll oh look my into God. it. So good. Um, they actually have a DBT handbook for people with bipolar on Amazon. And I don't have bipolar disorder, but I fucking love that thing. Okay, it I'm going to get it. It is such a good resource. I love it. I, I think DBT and DBT skills are essential to all of our overall well-being. And I've recently started learning more about them and implementing them into my life. And it is so good for my nervous system regulation. Amazing. I'm a big fan of DBT and you should check that out. So you start to get on the path of healing, Mm -hmm. um, which I'm sure included some form of therapy plus medication plus more holistic things as well? Or what What was that path like for you? So I'd been on, in therapy since I was 14. My therapist talked about himself for 20 minutes every session. <sighs> and Rough. I took, yeah, I was, uh, I didn't know what to do. He was a therapist for reality television shows. So he oh, told me all about the contestants lovely. that he uh, saw. So I took a test. I remember it was a 500 question test and I scored uh, borderline chronic and clinical depression, 15 years old. But I wasn't really put on medication or really getting into a serious therapy groove um, until the psychosis and the paranoia kicked in. So for many years, I was in very regular therapy. I tried every psychiatric medication under the sun. For me, I had a rough go at it. I experienced a lot of side effects. Nothing really worked over the years. Many times it made me worse. You know, they locked me up on a 5150 at one point, and then I went through two outpatient programs. And this is, I want to preface, therapy and psychiatry are excellent modalities for healing. And I felt as if the box they put me in did me more harm. I remember, I I now work with a coach. I don't go to therapy and I'm off psychiatric medication. And I remember asking her, saying, well, are you, are you sure you can handle me? Because sometimes I get suicidal ideation and I get really intense and I, I, you know, my doctors need to monitor me and I have a severe case and da-da-da-da-da. And I don't know if you're ready for this. And she looked at me and she said, you're a human being. And it was the first time anyone has ever looked at me and saw my emotional experience as human and not Mm -hmm. as clinical. Clinical. Yeah. Yeah. And so while therapy and psychiatry are immensely helpful, if you're going into them, please remember that you're a human and you get to be talked to and you get to be believed in far past words like monitoring and severe and you know to drive to the hospital, right? When things get out of control, you know, I always remember looking at them and being like, do you hear the way you're talking to me right now? So I just always pray that everyone advocates for themselves and Mm -hmm. believes in themselves within those rooms. Because if you do, I believe you can find the right fit that can significantly change your life. But to always remember that what you're having and experiencing is just a human experience. Yeah, I mean, God, you're going to love Evan's new book. Oh, Oh, I know. I'm really excited. You're going to fucking love Evan's new book. Have you ordered it yet? No, I've not come to my car. I have a copy for you. Oh my God. 
were not our diagnoses. No. And those diagnoses can change. Yes. Oh my God. They can change and evolve as our brains heal and grow. And part of the whole, when I talk about becoming addicted to our suffering, I think as humans, like we want in order to handle living in a modern world like we do, we really try to label everything in order to survive. Yeah. We don't need to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And I understand that there once was a need for this. But yeah, I think that we see things as life sentences. And as a result, there's a power. They're, They're absolutely like when I got sober early on, for me, and I no longer identify as an addict or an alcoholic, just for anyone listening who didn't know that. I identify as a sober person and my sobriety is not based on my abstinence, the Mm -hmm. abstinence that I've had for X amount of time. It's based off of my mental and emotional and overall well-being, right? Because there's plenty of people who are abstinent who are not at all sober, right? Who are not emotionally and mentally doing well, right? And I just, I think that there was a power in the beginning of, of saying like, oh, okay, so this makes sense. Like I'm an alcoholic, I'm an addict, or I have bipolar, or yeah. I have PTSD or CPTSD or anxiety disorder or whatever it might be. And then for the vast majority of people that I talk to, it becomes something that is crippling, Yeah. You know, this year I started, it's kind of weird because I feel as if I've come out more publicly with my story, with my book and doing OK Sis podcast and then the Emotional Entrepreneur podcast where I just talk about all this solo. And now that I talk about it all the time, I actually don't identify with it as much. I say that I no longer suffer from my bipolar disorder. I just have human experiences and emotional experiences that look like this. I remember Voxering my coach like right after my book launch. And I was like, you know what? I feel the identity I am bipolar disorder, that statement really starting to fade away, like really starting to fade away because I agree in the beginning, it allowed my family to treat me seriously versus, oh, she's just this or we just got divorced. Maybe she's upset about that. It allowed a certain level of, I don't know if emergency is the right word, but you know, people took it seriously. Yeah. And then after that, here's the action, right? Like, okay, we're clear on what this is now. We need to do something about it. But yeah, I mean, it it does. It gets to this point where it's like, this is no longer serving me anymore. Yes. And I think that in this world of (laughs) self-help, you guys know how much I somewhat disdain it. We believe that there's so much power in our stories, that our stories justify our past experience, our present experience, and our desires for our future experience. But when I've stripped myself down of all of that and just gotten really clear on who I am, God, I mean, I had to look at like, I'm worthy not because I'm an amazing wife. I'm worthy just because I am. Yeah. I'm worthy not because I have, you know, not been a heroin addict for 10 years. I'm worthy just because I am. You know, it's like really getting rid of, we cling on to these 
pieces of our in quotes identity and they don't make up who we really are. It's such a it's such a hard thing for me to comprehend and hold within because I see what I do now and I believe that the way I move through life is because I moved through intense emotional suffering. And so I give a lot of the credit to that past story. Yeah. 100%. And then I think these last two years, as I've entered a little bit more of a spiritual spiritual relationship with myself and what I like to call God, I have discovered that that being, that soul part of me that does exist beyond. So have you ever read the book Meet Your Soul by Elisa Romeo? So she does this thing called, or she suggests this thing called soul journaling, where you ask your soul what it needs to tell you, and then you just journal and see what comes out. Oh, yeah. Free free writing. Yeah. Yeah, But really being really specific about talking to like that part of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to that part of myself, it is something that existed beyond bipolar disorder. It's something that existed beyond the confines of my family, the society I grew up in, et cetera. And it's once you can meet that part of yourself— that it you can start to see the identity projections and, and how mm. other people use them to relate to you, et cetera. So while there's power in my story, I also am now connected to a part of myself that exists beyond it. Yes. Oh, I love that. Okay. So now as a businesswoman. Yeah. I, I guess I want to say like, And this is why I love being on Dear Media, where it's like so heavily focused on on women Mm -hmm. and their needs. Right. And like looking at um, business through a female perspective and having the support. Like when I had my mental health crisis, the middle of this year, God, was it the middle? It was the middle of this year. And I had to take a six month hiatus from the podcast. The conversation was I was so scared to have that conversation with Paige. And she was just like, it's okay. I get it. I am a mom too. And I was just thinking, God, can you imagine if the rest of the world operated like this? Like, it's okay. If you're having a hard time right now, how can we best support you? And let's figure this out together. I, how do I put this? I, it's, that's a hard part for me. Mm. because for me personally, I believe that that level of support is how the future of business is going to work. It's how I treat my team. You know, if they have anything going on, it's mental health first, take care of your life, family first, et cetera. And I've used that excuse so many times yes, to not follow through with my Absolutely. commitments. And so it's always a push and pull between, am I suffering right now? Or am I in the middle of something that really needs my attention? And to give it my attention, I need to put less on my plate and scale back and take care of me? Or am I running away from the fear of responsibility and what I've built? Because those two feelings at times can be a little bit indistinguishable. And so as a businesswoman, yes, I have the incredible luxury and flexibility of figuring out what my schedule looks like. If I want a down three months, I get a down three months and figure out how to make the ends meet with everyone. And I have a team of four full-time employees where I can't just check out in that sense because I run the ship. And so it's always this push and pull. It's it's a push and pull in my mind of how can we exist in 
the world where to keep a business going, you have to keep going, right? Or to get to a point, for example, if someone's a podcaster who just started and doesn't have the following, I wouldn't suggest a six-month hiatus for them on a business strategy standpoint. But when you get to a point where you've built something, it is okay to take a step back. It's okay to not run the rat race constantly. I talk a lot about seasons and not shaming yourself for whichever season you're in in business because I'm a generator with human design. So naturally I go hard. Naturally, I like a 12-hour day. I go crazy. I love it. Like I will work until, you know, I, my eyeballs are going <laughs> love out. Love that for you. Yeah. And I'm a manifest generator. So Ugh, I just like- I don't like those people because I'm so jealous. I just, no, I just like make things, but then want to be done with them. Okay. That, yes, that's the I'm difference. Yeah, I'm kind right? of the same way like, sometimes. I'm like, yeah. I just want to make it and then you guys do the rest. Like, yeah. I just want to create and then you handle it. I have lots of ideas all day long. Ideas, yeah. ideas, ideas, ideas. Yeah. I can't implement. It's so hard for me. Okay, so I'm the executor. I like to take, I like to have the vision See, and then take action. Maybe I need action. to just find a generator to like work alongside Yes, you me. do, you do. Because <laughs> we, I mean, I just physically can't stop sometimes, but I would make myself wrong. Like when it, when my uh, when my book was launching, I told my friends and family like, hey, I'm really sorry, but time with you is what I'm sacrificing right now to make this dream of mine come true. I had to double down on my mental health, reduce social activities, and really protect my energy because I had a very specific goal that was in alignment with my dreams and my purpose. And I felt as if, if I didn't follow through and caved into the pressure of my friends being like, listen, you have to like enjoy yourself and hang out with me, et cetera, I would actually be turning my back on myself. And so I had to come to terms with the fact that I enjoy a heavier season and I am so understanding and realistic about the fact that you cannot be in a he heavy season 24-7. So from October to the end of this year, it's a lot slower for me. It's less calls. It's less podcasting. It's just not as many. There's no new project on my table right now. And so I'm someone who treats the nine to five very seriously. In that way, I love being in my masculine. But when the five to nine comes... I'm in deep nourishing rest in my feminine. And so I think it's it's a beautiful balance. At times I get tripped up as we always do, but I find a lot of sacredness in, in both of those energies. I love that. Your book lays out all of the steps that you take along with interviews that you've done with some of my favorite people. Mm -hmm raved about by Lauren Evarts Bostic, who's been on this podcast, along with my lovely friend, Arielle Lore. I am so grateful that you came on and had this conversation with me. This was like the perfect day to do this. Too. Yeah. It just was the right energy. Please tell my audience where they can follow along with you and where they can buy your book. Yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Scout Sobel. I have all the stuff in the bio. And then, uh, you can buy my book, The Emotional Entrepreneur, on Amazon. And listen to her podcast, OK Sis. Yeah, it's All a right. good time. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This week's affirmation is, my possibilities are endless. And so it is. If you enjoyed this week's episode, do me a favor. Follow along with us. Leave a review. It means so much to me. There are new episodes of Recovering From Reality every Monday, and you can follow me on social at Recovering From Reality or visit my website, recoveringfromreality.com. 